Welcome to large group, guys. It's good to see you all. Um, I'm just like this new, this little seating deal tonight. I'm just kind of digging it. Not gonna lie. Um, uh, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. And so, um, welcome. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the RUF campus minister at Wofford. Caroline uh, is our intern. Raise your hand, Caroline. There's Caroline. Um, if we haven't met you yet, there's, I, I, I noticed some people here that I've never met before, and I would love to meet you and set up a time to grab coffee or lunch with you. It's a massive part of my job in Caroline's, and um, the semester's getting away from us, isn't it? Um, so we'd love to sit down and drink coffee with you or a meal. We've been going through this series this semester in RUF called Christ For Us, and we've been doing a greatest hits gospel survey exploring all that Jesus is for us. And so we've seen that he's our shepherd when he fed the 5,000 in that field. We've seen that he's our joy when he turned water into wine at that wedding. We've seen that he's our peace when he calmed the storm that day for the disciples as they were having essentially panic attacks of the hurricane-level storm. We've seen that he's a yearning host when he told that story about a great banquet. We've seen that he's our path when he told us to take up our cross and to die to ourselves, deny ourselves. That was last week. Tonight... We're going to look at this story that is so profoundly overlooked, especially in John's gospel. It's only in John's gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this story is so overlooked. It's where Jesus cooks breakfast for his friends on the beach. True story. Christ, our friend. Breakfast is ready. Breakfast is ready. That, that's an announcement. That's, an, that's a magical announcement, isn't it? It's a breakfast is ready. Where does your mind go? Does your mind go to your favorite diner at home? Does it go to the skillet in town? Does it go to Miss Kathy's pancakes here? Um, does it go to Chick-fil-A or Bojangles biscuits? Does it, do you smell and hear the sizzling bacon and the eggs? You hear the sound of your mom's or your dad's voice calling that out. It's, a, it's an announcement that gets us out of bed, isn't it? It's an announcement that gets us out of bed and enters into a new day with new mercy. That, that new mercy for our bellies with breakfast for real and new morning mercy that never runs out in Jesus. That announcement, breakfast is ready, gets things started. In a lot of ways, it's a new heavens, new earth in the valley of the shadow of death, of life in a fallen world, kind of an announcement. And it's an announcement, even though it seems so mundane, it's an announcement, it's a statement that Jesus made to his grieving friends on a beach. And he's doing that because he's their friend. And he's making those kinds of announcements to us. So we're going to see that Christ is our friend as we look at this passage. Follow along as I read, as I find... I know, always have to borrow one every time. I love what Eugene Peterson calls this passage, the resurrection breakfast. This is God's word, John 21, 1 to 14. He's spoken to us, because he's not silent. God has spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me tonight because he loves us. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. 
Simon Peter called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. I bet he was at that wedding in Cana with water and wine. I bet Nathaniel was there. The sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in. Because of the quantity of the fish, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Gotta love Peter. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word that it's living and active. We know that's true. We've experienced that to be true this semester in this very space. When we open your word and we experience you to be living and active and gracious and challenging and consoling our path, our friend, our savior, our guide, be that tonight. Lord, we walk in here in all kinds of different places, longings, shame, sin, anxieties, and you know us inside and out. I just ask that by your spirit, you would slow us down, that we would hear you, believe you, and trust you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you have the game plan uh, for you. Two words, word and meal. Word and meal, that's what we're doing tonight with this passage. Let's do the first one, word. All right, so while... With the, the meal, the resurrection breakfast really is the centerpiece, the magic of the story. It's actually the words of Jesus that really gets things started. Actually, as it were, sets the table for our story because God's word is living and active. And the first thing that we see about Jesus's words is that God's word, Jesus's speech initiates. I want you to see that Jesus's speech, his words initiate. John tells us the beginning of our passage that Seven disciples go fishing. Now, we don't know much about what they are dealing with as the disciples, why they went fishing that day. But a lot of scholars all agree, and they kind of playfully speculate, that the reason that these disciples are going fishing that night is because they're sad and grieving the reality that their friend Jesus, who they've given their lives to and followed around for his ministry, is dead. They've, they're grieving. What do you do when you're grieving? What do you do when you're grieving a loss of someone who's died, a divorce, a disappointing news that you've gotten from someone? 
you go back to the mundane, normal realities of your life to do stuff with your hands. That's familiar. You need a sense of normalcy and familiarity with your life because life is so falling apart impossible. I just want to do something with my hands. I'm going to go for a drive. I'm going to, get, I'm going to do mundane tasks on my computer because my heart is breaking. They got to go fishing because their friend Jesus is dead. They're hurting. In verse 3, John tells us, they went out and got in the boat and they caught nothing. What a depressing line. They're going back to their vocation as fishermen, and that night, John is being very careful with what he's saying to us. It's a failed fishing trip. They failed. Jesus initiates them, not just in their grief, but in their failure. They didn't catch anything, it says. And at night, their experience, their mind and their heart and their bodies, it was met with failure, but then Jesus enters the scene. He shows up. He initiates a conversation with him. Look at verse 5. Children, do you have any fish? And we look, we could just skim over that. Just some like playful dialogue that John has for us when you read the Gospels. No, no, no. Jesus is initiating hurting, grieving, failed disciples. This is no throwaway line question. Do you have any fish? He's engaging a conversation with them. It was like two weeks ago when Jesus interacts with Jairus' daughter who was bleeding for 12 years. Daughter, who touched me? He's initiating conversation with her and her shame and them and their grief and their failure. One commentator says this, I love this. The initial condition for God to reveal himself is quite often, as we see here, not well-prepared disciples, but surprise, failed disciples. Failed disciples. The darkness of evening was marked by the light of Jesus in the morning. The next day, that night they caught nothing. Jesus enters into that darkness. And as John says in John chapter one, the darkness has nothing on the light of Jesus. And he has invaded the darkness to overcome it. And we see it in this mundane interaction. Initiating. That's what he does. Has this semester felt like a failure to you? Has this past weekend or this month felt like a failure to you? Has the semester felt lonely? Have you been scared this semester? When is it going to end? Are you grieving? You know, it's interesting. I, I think this could be an entire sermon on grief. Because oftentimes when we think of grief, I often describe as capital G grief, death, divorce, trauma, lowercase g grief, disappointments, I really was hoping that this girl was going to say yes to the date. She said no. Lowercase g, grief. Disappointment, life in a fallen world. Grief is any big or small loss. Jesus enters into it. Has this semester been a semester of grief? From childhood or rejection or loneliness that Wofford still doesn't feel like home? Well, listen for Jesus' words because he's engaging you in your darkness, in your pain, in your loneliness. But his speech doesn't just initiate, it also guides and directs. That's our second thing with Jesus' words. Jesus' words, God's word directs us and it guides us. In verse 6, look there. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. Try fishing my way. Last night didn't go well. Try fishing my way. He becomes their fishing guide. 
with his words, he's giving them instruction for how to fish because last night didn't go well. They caught nothing. Isn't that what God's word does to us? Psalm 119, a, a light to my path. God's word guides us. Try friendship my way. Try forgiveness my way. Try stewardship of your time and resources my way. Try interacting with your parents my way. Try being a roommate my way. The light, the light of Jesus and His Word doesn't just initiate. It also guides us, but I love this. God's Word initiates, God's directs. It also creates. When God speaks, look out. Who knows what might happen? In verse 6, John tells us that after following Jesus' fishing directions, they caught so many fish that, quote, they weren't able to haul them all in. I love the specificity of John, the, how vivid he tells a story. 153 fish. You can hear the net almost breaking, but it didn't. Only God's speech creates like this. What happened at the wedding? Fill the jars up to the brim. More wine. It's not enough. Fill it up. Feeding the 5,000 in that field, they were starving. They wanted to go. It was a desolate place. We've got to go to another town. Get the baskets. Pass them around. Here's the fish. Do we have any bread? He's directing. His speech concludes with a creation, a new creation. And it's not just enough bread or enough wine or enough fish. It is abundant so in the desolate places of our sin and shame, watch out when God speaks there. Because He's not doing halfway mercy. It's abundant mercy. But we'll get there. So I want you to see that when God speaks, He is speaking and initiating a conversation with grieving, hurt, confused, and lonely fishermen, His disciples. And he's doing all kinds of things. We haven't even gotten to the meal yet. But with his speech, he's engaging. He's not just doing conversational work with us. It's salvation work with us. Let's do the meal now. That's word. This is meal. All right. Bread. Fish. Soup. Water. Wine. Ordinary stuff of creation. And that is the very stuff of creation that he made, that he called very, very, very good over and over and over again in Genesis 1 and 2. And that's what he chooses. The raw materials of your life is what he's taking to reveal his goodness to you and to me. And I want you to see that in doing this is that he's showing us that Jesus welcomes us. How he's handling this meal and how he's choosing to reveal himself to... To his disciples who are hurting with this meal, he's welcoming them. Jesus welcomes us. I want you to picture this. In their grief and their hurt, their failed fishing trip, they smell that charcoal fire. Do you ever, can you smell charcoal fires? Oh my Lord, they're amazing. They're incredible. Charcoal fires is like a breakfast is ready kind of thing going on in your mind and your heart. I mean, when I'm running, y'all know I run, and when I'm running throughout Spartanburg, and if I'm in a neighborhood and I smell a charcoal fire, I know exactly 
I like want to go to the house and like ask them if I can get in on whatever is happening, whatever the conclusion of this fire is. Charcoal fire in the midst of failure and grief. I don't think this is their first charcoal fire with Jesus. They rolled with Jesus for a long time. And he's grilling their friend. Breakfast is ready because he's not dead. That is a, if, if there's ever a charcoal fire that had more hope coming out of it, it is this fire. He's not dead. He's alive. Breakfast is ready. And they had to recognize, and they, he had to see with waving down. Bring the fish. It's ready. They recognize the wave. His wave, his voice, the way he did it. He's not dead. Come and have breakfast. He's welcoming them. And similar to this, the Lord's Supper that he instituted before his crucifixion. He's the host. He's welcoming them. In Isaiah 55 that Haynes read, come everybody and I'll give you rest. Come to the waters. Rich food. Food with me, real food. Don't spend your money on food that you eat apart from me. Eat with me. Eat this meal. This is resurrection life breakfast. Eugene Peterson says that any meal, I love this, any meal, and you know this intuitively, any meal, the host of the meal sets the terms and conditions of the meal. Always. Use this mug. Don't use that mug. Don't, no, no, no. Don't use the plastic cups. Use like the fine, like the, go to that cabinet. They're setting the term. No, don't sit in that seat. That's where my dad sits, sit in this. They're setting the terms and conditions. And always it's for the purpose of welcome. The specificity of Jesus's instructions is communicating us the divine hospitality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you and I get to witness and experience in a much bigger way at the Lord's Supper at the church on Sundays. This resurrection breakfast points to the Lord's Supper that you and I get in on where everybody comes to feast with Jesus. Because he's the host of the meal, but he's a generous host. I want you to see this because not all hosts are generous. The failed disciples get 153 fish. There's more for, there's enough for everybody. There's more for seconds or there's enough for seconds, right? And the same thing with feeding the 5,000. It said all ate and were satisfied. That was the refrain. You remember how many bottles of wine it was at the wedding at Cana? There's wine for everybody. And it wasn't like the mediocre wine. It was the choice wine. This was like a cosmic fish fry oozing and dripping with the resurrection life of Jesus that is communicating limitless mercy for your fishing failure and the failure of falling short of my glory and being condemned without my blood. There are no limits to my mercy. 153 fish. Fill the jars up to the brim. Everybody's fed in this field. Abundant mercy. If anyone, I've said this before, if anyone says, and yes, a pastor, if anyone says that there are limits to Jesus' mercy, run for the hills. Because that is not biblical Christianity. If someone says that Jesus' mercy is only for that group of people and not that group of people, there's nothing biblical about it, run for the hills. 
But I hope that you've experienced in RUF this semester as we've looked at the heart of Jesus, that over and over and over again, we've had some version of saying that there are no limits to Jesus's mercy. I don't care what story we look at. Come, everybody who hungers and thirsts, and I'll give you rest and satisfaction for your soul. Everybody can get in on this. Yes, even you tonight. Even you. He's a generous host. He's also a self-sacrificial host. Think of this. Think Think of a hospitality experience you've had. If you've made a meal from scratch yourself, or if you've experienced the hospitality from someone else, There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into preparing a meal for somebody. You go to the store and you buy all the the produce. You're chopping the onions. You're meticulously following the recipe. Lots of behind-the-scenes self-sacrificial love and labor. Why? For the love and welcome of the guests. And if this meal pointing to the Lord's Supper, when he says this is bread and wine, what does it signify? My body and my blood. If, this, if self-sacrificial love is not the centerpiece of meals with Jesus, I don't know what is. He is basically saying, even though this is, not a, this is pointing to the Lord's Supper, but if we were to think of the Lord's Supper when you've taken it at church, I want you to know that the, the meal is saying a lot of things, but it's saying... The only way you can have fellowship with me because at a table you only eat with friends and Jesus is our friends. Why? His blood has washed our sins away. And that's why we can come to the table. His blood covered the, fl- the fishing failure. Yes, of course. But gosh, didn't Peter need blood? Don't you need it? Don't I need it? I love that Peter's included in this. What if, if there is a failure? I'm so thankful for Peter's presence because I can identify with him so much how I deny Jesus daily as I'm prone to wander away from him. Jesus' blood is enough for fellowship with God. And that's what the table points to, fellowship with God. And the only way we can taste and see that the Lord is good is if somebody cleans us and washes us. And Jesus does, and he has, and he can. Word, meal, so what? What do we do with this? I failed to mention this. Um, Ivy, my wife, knows this, and some of y'all do. I know Caroline does too. This is my favorite story in the Bible. This story is my favorite story in the Bible. It has ministered to me so, so deeply. And I want us to think about three points of application because there's so many things we could say about applying this to our lives. I just want to say three things and leave. And these application points have really ministered to me. And the first is this. Jesus draws near to us in our pain. Jesus draws near to us in our pain. In pain that feels too heavy to carry. Pain that feels too intense to name out loud with words. They thought their friend was dead. And he's going right after him. He's coming after you with his word. He's coming after you with his love. That's his response to the darkness of your life. Engaging you. Not running away from you. And you know what's sad about the church? Here's why this is... Here's what's sad about the church. Because we're imperfect, and because even though we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we're still prone to wander away from Jesus every day, and we hurt each other. And here's the deal. Christians hurt each other. 
You've probably been hurt by Christians. You might have been hurt by people even in RUF. And I'm sorry for that because that does not reflect the love of Jesus. Because oftentimes what happens when we let other Christians in on our pain, they abandon us, they leave. That is not what Jesus does. When we let Jesus in on the darkness, he goes in. He goes for, he goes to us. Moving into the neighborhood of our sin and shame. That's what Jesus does. He draws near to us. A lot of y'all know that my older brother died a few years ago. And my best friend, my college roommate, Chase Dawes, who's the RUF campus minister at Cal Berkeley. Some of y'all know the story, but Chase knew that my brother was going downhill fast, stage four colon cancer. And um, right before his 40th birthday is when he died. And my brother and I were very close. He was also a pastor. And I texted Chase on the morning that my brother died on a Sunday morning. And Chase is in Oakland, California. And he has like ridiculous, uh, ridiculously complicated relationship with flying. He hates flying. It's important for you to know because he was in Nashville, Tennessee with my brother's family and stayed two weeks with me taking off work, dropping everything. What did he do? He came and moved in essentially with me and my family and sat and wept and talked and laughed He moved in to my darkness with me. Didn't really say anything super profound other than Christ is risen and so will your brother. And that Easter morning is real. But he just moved in. He moved into my darkness. That is what Jesus does. The second thing I want you to know is that Jesus walks with us in the mundane. I love this. Jesus walks with us in the mundane. Y'all, fishing, breakfast, grilling, Burwell, Milliken, roommates. Going home for the holidays. The mundane realities of your life. He just took fish. He was grilling. Charcoal fire. I'm revealing my love to you with a charcoal fire. He's revealing. I've said this before. And I always use this example in, when I'm talking with you guys. But that walk from Olin to Old Main. That skinny walkway that y'all always want to walk on. And the way that the light pokes into those trees in the morning is unbelievable mercy from Jesus. This is holy ground. Your life is holy ground. And the mundane realities of your life, whenever you do, like library after this, is where Jesus is walking with you. If you're getting in your car and going to cookout to get a milkshake to eat your feelings, He's going to be in the car with you. That's what I'm going to do. He's going with us. Now, here's why I love this point about the mundane. A lot of us are trying to be more spiritual than Jesus with our Christian life. Here's what I mean by that. Well, if I really want Jesus to walk with me, I have to be in full-time vocational ministry like Matt and Caroline. That's the only way that Jesus will really walk with me. I really can't walk with Jesus unless I'm a full-time missionary overseas and if I have some adventurous missional life. Nonsense. Jesus, what are they doing? They're fishermen. But try fishing my way. Try resurrection fishing. Try resurrection medicine, pre-med students. Try resurrection marriage when you guys get married. Try resurrection friendship now. New life, fruit of the Spirit, mundane, normal life. Jesus wants to walk with you in the mundane realities. 
there's no square inch of your life that is off limits for his mercy to go and to renew you to make him make you more like his son. All the noises. And yes, he's even here with us with all those noises. All right. Last thing. Jesus reinstitutes our callings. Failed fishermen, try fishing my way. It didn't work the way you did it. I'm not going to give you a new calling. Just do it with my new, just do it with resurrection hope. I'm not giving you a new, new, like, I'm, I remember I had a student my first year here who wanted to be a teacher, and this was when Wofford still had the, the education department was kind of still up and running here, and they were in the education stuff. And they essentially got converted their first, their first year. They definitely got converted their first year. And it was fairly dramatic. Well, now I have to go into ministry. Like, no, you don't. Be a teacher. Just do resurrection teaching. Do re- he reinst- reinstitutes our original calling. It's like tending the garden again, isn't it? Okay. Lastly and truly, Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. I want us to see that. So uh, there's this book. I highly recommend this. This is called Every Moment Holy. And this is essentially a prayer book that gives us a prayerful way to pray through and walk with Jesus in every corner of our life. And there is a, a liturgy and a prayer that's called a liturgy for feasting with friends. Okay? I want to read you just one little paragraph. It's fairly long. I'm just going to read you. I'm sparing you. Um, Listen to this. To gather joyfully is indeed a serious affair. For feasting and all enjoyments, think of the resurrection breakfast. For feasting and all its enjoyments, gratefully taken, are at their heart acts of war. In celebration of the feast, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. Every feast, Miss Kathy's breakfast in the morning, every bite of your pancake is an act of war that says that sin and sorrow, pain and death that you've experienced this year, And the trauma that you've endured in your childhood and this semester will not have the final word if you have an inch of faith in Jesus Christ. Why? He's alive. He's alive on Easter morning and he's alive right now. Breakfast is ready. Let's take it and eat it now. Okay? Let me pray.